Greetings. This is Bashiri. And I'd like to welcome you to the Love, Peace, and Confrontation podcast. Black men, I love you. Black women, I love you. Black babies, I love you. What will we tell our sons? Let's get out here and be the light. Let's be the solution. Let's understand that we are the answers to the prayers that we are praying. And that ultimately we are the gods that we seek. All religions be damned. If it doesn't serve you, you shouldn't serve it. Let's take advantage of and fully cultivate and incarnate and embody the inexhaustible energetic ingenuity that is resonant within the melaninated mind and overall black experience. Black man, what up? Black woman, what up? Black babies, what up? I'd like to welcome you once again to the uh, Love, Peace and Confrontation podcast. This is our ninth episode and we will endeavor... Uh, to explore the fifth installation of a series uh, called Why the Civil Rights Movement Was a Failure. And I do realize that uh, this is a very provocative landscape. I understand that it is a very provocative uh, subject matter and purposely so. I really feel that it is um, my role and my contribution to the community uh, to explore uh, these uh, nuanced and um, particular, um, they are particularly rough um, areas and pockets uh, in our psyche as it pertains to um, the very um, mental terrain of what we have um, decided in terms of how we orient ourselves and how we uh, situate uh, ourselves internally with respect to the conditions that have given rise to our current position uh, within the social strata. Um, of course, within the American enterprise. And so we have to have these uh, courageous conversations and we have to be able, again, um, to be critical and to be astute in our analysis of how we have feared um, heretofore with respect to, again, historical antecedents and precedents that ultimately shape um, who and what we are collectively. I think I shared in um, another uh, podcast episode that there is no um, deletion of the past. Uh, there is uh, in no way that we could um, undermine the influence of conditions um, and the uh, ways in which uh, those conditions kind of intermingle and again coalesce and serve uh, in, in, as a confluence that creates, um, that engenders, that institutes, and that ultimately becomes uh, economically expedient with respect to the power needs of the dominant society um, as it pertains to 
our making. Um, and so as we're being shaped by uh, these matters that we <sighs> perhaps weren't even born to, um, to initiate any sort of influence by way of our own will and by virtue of our own volitional capacity, it serves us and it behooves us and it is incumbent upon us in the now to be students of yesterday. Not to be stuck, um, not to become stymied and not to become stagnant um, in a... <laughs> a vortex of a time gone by, but really to grapple with what has intrinsically contributed to how we um, perceive and conceive of our, of our very being. And so you can't get rid of the past, just to reiterate. You don't escape the past. The past is ever dynamic and ever present um, and ongoing with respect to who and what we believe that we are and moreover who and what we believe we can become. And so um, in this episode, having laid that foreground that when we look at the past, uh, when we become students of days that have gone by, it is not an act of futility. Um, this is not just us uh, twiddling our proverbial um, scholastic thumbs. But what we are endeavoring to do is to gain greater insight and greater clarity and an acuity of what it is um, that we can potentially accomplish when we decide to learn the lessons of our proverbial lumps. Because I'm convinced that there are lessons in our lumps and that there are uh, gems to be gained from our failures of days gone by and that we can make even our mistakes um, useful and we can use them as a means to develop mastery. And so it's very important that we have a secure possession of the past. The past is very important, and I guess I got to speak to this with respect to, um, again, an ethic that may be uh, prevalent in our circles and in our communities as black people, and I'm using black, of course, in its uh, political referent. Um, because oftentimes we'd like to be dismissive 
of the past. We like to say, man, that's irrelevant. Why would we want to stay stuck? Um, it makes no use to cry over spilled milk, so to speak. However, if the past were of no effect, if the past indeed did not play an integral and instrumental role in the shaping of the consciousness, the being and the behavior of a people, um, then the dominant society would not have found it useful or necessary um, to confiscate, to alter, to rewrite history, to introduce and to interject lies into the collective consciousness of the targeted populace and into the um, air quote citizenry who were to be designated and relegated to a permanent bottom and servile position in a color caste system within the American enterprise. In order for the hierarchical um, designations to persist in this social system called America, in order for it to be viable, in order for it to be functional, the targeted population has had to be intentionally robbed of its identity, intentionally um, uh, entreated in ways uh, that would leave it without a clear understanding of its rich resources and the means by which it has coped as a group with respect to survival. And that's what we have to understand about our past. And I'll say this and I'll get into again how this all coheres with respect to our foray into why the civil rights movement was indeed a failure. Um, we're still dealing with that. But again, I have to situate for us um, the relevance of our treatment of past endeavors. When we look at the past and when we understand it functionally, um, again, reminiscent of the words of the late great Dr. Amos Wilson and his articulation and his understanding of, of the past as uh, furnishing for us a means by which to cope with life circumstances in that we are able to pass on knowledge 
of how to navigate difficult spaces. And it provides for us in real, concrete, and functional ways, methods uh, by which we can propel ourselves forward in time with respect to our biological survival as a group. And so we learn methods and we learn strategies and we pass that on and we disseminate it through time um, via communication, um, orally, um, through the word, the written word, um, and various other forms of media that would sharpen our sensibilities as to the goings on of survival. When you rob a people of and you make them deficient, right? In that regard, that they're not able to pass on these survival mechanisms that are provided via the reflection of the past and how things were done. You rob that group of the capacity to even embellish upon and to build and to um, in a in, improvisational sort of a way an innovative sort of a way, engineer even um, uh, new and improved ways of surviving. Essentially, <laughs> you leave that group having to start from ground zero. I think of, uh, I use the analogy of the pyramid and the pyramid was of course Herculean, Herculean endeavor, excuse me, and um, definitely an expression of knowledge being passed forward and leapfrogged through time, through institutions, through social relationships, through an economy of ideas, through an economy of method. And there is, and, and when I'm speaking about economy, I'm not just talking about money, I'm talking about the organization of money, and I'm not just talking about currency, I'm talking about uh, the convening of groups and human relations, human capital that uh, convenes in such a way and is orient oriented um, with respect to a collective goal and an interest that develops power as a result of being decidedly related in specific sorts of ways. That's the ground floor and you go nowhere. That's the launch pad. And you, can, you cannot leap forward 
without an appreciation for where you've been, how you currently are, and where you would like to go without a full awareness, consciousness, and appreciation for how you have been shaped, for understanding the social, political, um, and um, economic influences that have engineered the conditions in which we are all born into. When I think of the civil rights movement in light of everything that I just articulated, and I understand historically here in America that you do not develop wealth without the aggregation and the organization of land and labor. Without the organization of your human and material capital. And understanding that our group, in a political sense, black people, were brought here um, for all intents and purposes to be the economic engines that would create the great wealth of America by being the permanent labor class of the American enterprise. After having confiscated and stolen the land of the indigenous people here, um, these colonizers, pilgrims, um, white people aggregated themselves in such a way um, that they were able to produce um, astronomical expressions of wealth and power through the confiscation of land and the exploitation of labor. And that's what we're speaking to ongoing as we entreat uh, the subject matter of why the civil rights movement was a failure and again the historical antecedents that shaped even our response to oppression and that's really what we're getting at we're getting we are engaged in a dynamic interplay between our environment and our internal organization. And our response to our environment as a group. Okay? And that's where we get into, again, I quote him heavily. Uh, that's when we get into the... Um, psycho-historical analysis of how 
um, the internal capital of the targeted population had been engineered by um, thematically that is by oppressive um, protocols okay <laughs> I hope I hope that makes sense man I really do and so when you start to think about those dynamics and you think about again the psychopolitical psychosocial psychohistorical implications and variables that invariably shaped the um, moral mechanism moral mechanisms um, and um, responses or options with which we could um, respond to oppression during the civil rights movement. We understand um, that you could either be full out revolutionary or you would be willing to make some um, compromises. You would you would be willing to be accommodating with. You would accept consolation prizes. Um, you would conceal, or either, you, in a sense, not even be aware of other ways in which you could assert yourself in the face of outright oppression. Resistance takes courage. And I guess, I, I mean, I can't mince words here. There is a cowardice that's embedded within the assimilation project. Okay. And that's kind of what I'm speaking to. I'm speaking to the ethics of assimilation um, that is, again, inextricably linked um, to the rationale of the civil rights movement to become one with your enemies, to, to disappear. Um, to not see yourself as distinct with respect to your ethnicity, to want to be abstracted, to, to want to be um, solely identified as an American or exclusively identified as a human being and wanting to disregard the ways in which human beings and Americans ascribe certain designations to themselves as a group with respect to their ethnicity all right um right that and, and the ethnicity that has to do with um codes of conduct their mores 
um, cultural um, realities, right? Based in a shared experience and a shared expression in a specific way of humanity. And that is something that is intrinsic to all groups within um, human expression, okay? And to deny your own expression of your unique humanity on the basis of what gives you a distinct contribution to that enterprise that is the human endeavor, right? The human condition. Well, then you you actually uh, do something that is counterintuitive to your aims in that regard at that point. Because while you're saying, I want to be abstracted as just a human being or abstracted as just... Uh, an American, uh, you in effect <sighs> delegitimize um, your unique contribution to a robust expression of humanity within uh, that um, variegated and um, <clears throat> um, rich landscape you know I hope that made sense so in that degree you you, you still are operating and I'm, I was talking about the civil rights movement I guess I'm dealing with more so a kind of an analysis and a reflection of the interior reality um, that vivified uh, the uh, collective psyche of that movement. Of course, I'm doing it from the position of hindsight, and I'm doing it from a space where many of us are the children, the grandchildren, and the great-grandchildren of that movement, and we have been able... Um, <clears throat> 50, 60 years later to ascertain uh, in concrete ways um, the mistakes of that era. I spoke last week about um, about the Montgomery bus boycott and I, and I, and I spoke about you know um, how Dr. Claude Anderson had intimated that that movement was an act of futility and it ultimately um, contributed to the disinvestment of our group, our uh, businesses, our economic enterprises, because we were so hell-bent on assimilating with our oppressors and being recognized by them and, and somehow thinking that it was prestigious to win their acceptance by appealing to their moral conscience, uh, uh, but effectively <clears throat> being robbed of our own pride, being robbed of our own determination 
being robbed of our capacity to define for ourselves what success is and what is appropriate with respect to our unique experiences here as a targeted, oppressed, mm. um, and uh, beleaguered group um, by just unrestrained violence, un unrestrained discrimination, um, unrestrained oppression. And I guess we were so wearied by all of those dynamics um, that we actually believed that it was a laudable goal to become one with these people, um, even at the expense of our autonomy as a group, even at the expense of being self-determined. And so uh, Dr. Claude Anderson, I, I do believe if I've read him correctly or if I've heard him appropriately that he would he would say that that was too expensive a price tag um, for that um, enterprise. It wasn't worth it. Assimilation with the dominant community at the expense of the aforementioned what we had to abdicate in order to get it. And then we get it and what we've gotten has been empty. Um, it has not been substantive. It has not fed us. It has not offered us any uh, nutritional value in a literal sense and in all other senses where uh, it would be uh, apropos to speak as such, you know, um, and so we, 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 we did the whole, um, boycotting and we did these sit-ins and we thought that if we could remind the oppressor <laughs> of his own morality, a morality that was really a chimera, um, a set of rules and codes of conduct um, that could be resisted um, according to the whimsical discretion of oppression. Because it had nothing to do with being morally pure. <laughs> it had nothing to do with it. It was about power, man. It was about domination. It was about maintaining the uh, differentials, okay? Um, and if that means that now we have to streamline and we have to evolve the ways in which that we franchise again oppression, well, that's what we're willing to do, okay? We'll sing with you, we'll march with you, we shall overcome and all of the above. We'll give you these symbols. You'll never get real power though. You'll never, you'll never have land, okay? Mm-hmm. We've already excluded you from the Homestead Act. <laughs> you know what I mean? You'll never be in control of your labor because even um, uh, a goal of that movement was to get 
jobs rather than create your own jobs. Rather than create solutions and enterprises and entrepreneurial endeavors uh, with respect to the specific needs that were unique to your group based on your unique experiences here in America as an oppressed group. And so we allow again our ingenuity to atrophy because we want to be acclimated and we want to be accommodated and assimilated and in a functional sense obliterated by this pathological need to be accepted and loved. What a psychotic expression of air quotes love it's not love it's not it's not love it's not respect it definitely isn't power and so the civil rights movement ended up being a failure um, because the goals were toxic It, it ended up ultimately being nothing more than consumer rights. I think of now, like, you know, there's the, um, the idea of, of retail therapy, right? And so rather than getting uh, real therapy and um, in treating authentic uh, um, panaceas, for the pathological and, and abusive ways we've been entreated by the society, um, we want to get into escapism. And so you get into this retail therapy, right? And you get into exercising your consumer rights, right? In order to, um, to nurse the wounds of your ego and to nurse the wounds of your psyche and to nurse the wounds of your confidence, to nurse how you have been insulted. Um, <laughs> and really think that being able to, in to invest and to become customers and white establishments somehow is an assertion of your power and your freedom. And in that regard, we're, we are still the offspring and the children of that perilous endeavor, thinking that we can buy our way into power, <laughs> thinking that um, we can buy respect, self-respect, thinking that we are defined, again, by the labels that we put on our back, by the labels that we, and the brands we wear on our feet, that because we are cosmetically whole, we think that that translates into some sort of um, intrinsic reality that we are healed thereby because 
we can consume what other people produce and somehow we are equal to producers because we're consumers backwards pathological self-destructive divorce from reality and because we have refused to become producers because we have elected to maintain ourselves as being um, a permanent labor class because that's what we sell ultimately as a group uh, and you, you think of uh, the various indices um, that offer a tally of where our businesses are, the caliber of businesses that we have, how many of our businesses are, are sole proprietorships, and that often we, we, we have businesses um, that are over-indexed in certain um, industries. Uh, and we are not employing enough of our own people. You feel what I mean? We are effectively, even now, in this very moment in 2020, um, no different from our forefathers and foremothers who were brought here for the exclusive purpose of rendering labor, of not being owners of their labor, not being producers, not, not owning the means of production, buying into these ideologies uh, of oppression and permanent servanthood and somehow um, relishing in the fact that we're, we're different, that we've progressed. And I think, I think that's the most uh, probably inimical feature of deception and self-delusion is the idea that we have made some sort of progress. So now we can rest on our laurels and we don't have to think about overcoming. We have overcome. Look at us. We, we're going to schools and they're integrated. We're working in in enterprises you know what I mean and and they're integrated we are now people of color and we have um, we have been embraced and our faces and we have representation in all these spaces of power but representation and acquisition are two different things I don't, I don't understand, and it almost seems like to me a hallmark feature of the civil rights movement is 
this preoccupation with, with, with representation. You know, I don't want to own it. I just want to be associated with it. I just want to be employed by it. I don't want to produce it. I just want to be able to consume it. You know, <laughs> it's it's um, it is a precarious set of affairs. It really is. And it's a direct correlation with the upheaval that we see often in our communities. Um, the current victimization, when we speak of police brutality and we, and we see our men, women, and children often unarmed, um, gunned down in the streets, you know what I mean, um, by police officers, is a direct byproduct um, of what we neglected to furnish and to establish and to build during the civil rights era. We should have done for self. We should have not sought assimilation. You know, we, 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 we should have sought liberation. We should not have confused or conflated the two. Assimilation is not liberation. And that was the mistake of the civil rights movement. Um, because for all of the passion and for all of the air quote soul capital that uh, that movement was endowed with, it still was commandeered and co-opted by white control, white influence, white manipulation. It still was prescribed in terms of the formation of what success would be by white ideas and white values and, and white morals and white sensibilities that ultimately served white collective interests. I'm using white, of course, in the political sense and how we have been designated in this color caste system, white, black, and et cetera. And how those designations, as, I, as I've already stated in other podcasts, serve as prescriptions and directives for how each respective group in terms of their respective designations are to be treated One powerfully revered and one um, powerfully reviled, and it has not changed. The cosmetics may be nicer, may have the makeup, may have the optics and the appearance of civility, but structurally, it is still barbarous. It is still unrelenting in violence. 
it is still carnivorous. In its intimidation, it is still America. <laughs> oh man, it it, and I don't understand um, how it is there are members in our groups who can honestly say or project or pretend that we have made meaningful inroads in powerful ways. And I think when you deal with that deep level of denial, you cut off you cut yourself off from developing innovative ways to resolve your problems because you don't believe there are problems that need to be resolved. Everything is okay. Everything's hunky-dory. You whistling, Dixie. <laughs> and meanwhile, you're still dealing with people without property without power and who are uh, perennially poverty stricken and that all comes from a mindset and a consciousness and what we tell ourselves self-speak the collective self-talk how we limit our capacity on the basis of what we ruminate on. I mean, people, it, this is not just talking that we do here. You know, uh, what we meditate on, um, what we focus on is creative. It, it constructs in us modes of behavior on the basis of modes of being. These things, again, they, they are uh, sequential. You know what I'm saying? It's not haphazard that these media moguls have mastered their messaging to engender in certain ones, particularly our group, the caliber of consciousness that would cause us to persist in self-destruction uh, and uh, continue to, to, to leave us precluded of self-discovery and development. These are not just mere talking points, folks. This is social engineering. This is a creative endeavor by the words that are spoken, you know? And that many of us, we really are susceptible to 
hypnotic suggestion thereby. And we, we, we have been seduced and we have been sedated and we have been lulled to sleep to have re reflexive, responsive mechanisms that serve the economic and power interest of the dominant population on the basis of what appears to be an exercise of our volitional capacity with respect to our understanding of the self. But what if our understanding of the self have been engineered by selves outside of ourselves. I think of I think of Avatar, you know, and I think of the ways in which um, the political implications there, how they inform uh, the conditions of our people in that Again, we have been inundated and interjected by an alien consciousness and an alien spirit. And I'm not talking about spookism. And I'm not talking about the exorcist caliber of demonic possession, masturbating with crucifixes and throwing up on priests and spinning your head around. I'm, I'm talking about the real commandeering of the psyche and the suke and the very souls of a targeted population through mass media messaging, through words, these words that shape the contours of your very consciousness and interior capital as a group and the civil rights movement is no different in that regard of oppressive forces seeking to Dominate the domain of discourse because per that domination, uh, via the dictates of um, monopolizing the imagination and the minds via definition, via your power to um, be descriptive and prescriptive and creative. <sighs> it then becomes a function of the maintenance of your power over a group. That's what we're talking about here, ladies and gentlemen. And with respect to the civil rights movement, that generation like our current one were victims of that creative apparatus of the dominant society to engender in the targeted population a caliber of consciousness that would be amenable 
and uh, complementary to the maintenance of power differentials and economic domination. Still um, way more ground to cover. I'm going to come in for a landing here. It's not just about parsing out the problem. It's also shining a light on members of your community who are doing an incredible work here locally in Hampton Roads, Hampton Roads Regional Black Chamber of Commerce, Black Brand, blackbrand.biz. If you're industrious, endeavor to be industrious, entrepreneurial, endeavor to be entre entrepreneurial. You need to link yourself with a network and a nexus of powerful, like-minded individuals who have your overall economic well-being both at heart and in mind. Black Brand. Blackbrand.biz, 150-year economic plan in the making specifically and exclusively for black people. I come to you in love, peace, and confrontation. I sign off in love, peace, and confrontation. Black man, I love you. Black woman, I love you. Black babies, I love you. What will we tell our sons? Let's get out here and continue to be the light. Let's endeavor to fully capitalize off of the inexhaustible energetic ingenuity that is resonant within the melaninated mind and overall black experience. Understand that we're going to be making mountain moves a single grain at a time. Um, please endeavor to do your part today. Uh, to make the future proud. Be men and women and children of your word and of your convictions. Um, look to collaborate constructively rather than disintegrate destructively. And um, understand that while we may have varied perspectives in our community. It does not make us mortal enemies with one another. It may help us to sharpen our perception of a common problem that it's going to take all perspectives to resolve, neutralize, and overcome. I sign off in love peace and confrontation until next time be safe peace <laughs>